Well, we do want to thank the team tonight. That was really a great time that we've shared together in worship. So thank you, Isaac, those that come early and practice and prepare to lead us in the service like this. Tuesday night we had a church meeting. Uh, we mentioned it just now, great attendance. And uh, two phrases I want to repeat from my devotion on uh, Tuesday night. Uh, the one was a negative phrase and the other one was a, a more positive phrase. Uh, the negative phrase was, as a church, we don't want to be in a holy huddle. We don't want to remain isolated and separated from the world around us. The second phrase was that we ought to be, we need to be a church that is expensive, a church that is spreading and growing and reaching out. And this uh, in line with, of course, the Great Commission, where Jesus commanded his disciples to make disciples as they went about their lives. Earlier on in the service, uh, some of you may not know, but the video was from one of our previous pastors. AJ and Avon served here some years ago. They sensed the call of God to go to Japan uh, to serve there in missions and church planting. And so as a church, we want to be expansive. We, we don't want to remain just in this closed, uh, the possibility of a closed holy huddle. And so therefore last week and also tonight again, I'm going to be dipping into the book of Acts and uh, the Apostle Paul who moved around on various missionary journeys and various experiences that we have recorded for us. And so this evening, Acts chapter 17 again. So turn in your Bible please and follow with me and I'm going to read from verse 16. Acts 17 from verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. And so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? And others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, 
as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Others whom also were Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Just so far, God's word to us. Lord, we uh, thank you again for the recorded word that has been preserved over these many centuries by your Spirit given to us. And Lord, tonight as we seek to interpret it and understand it, pray that you would help us to apply it in our response to you as the great and awesome and sovereign and mighty and holy God that we've been worshiping in this place tonight. And so lead us, we pray. Use us mightily for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. So I thought I'd introduce the topic tonight by thinking about uh, uh, finding yourself standing at a railway crossing. I don't know whether that happens much uh, these days, but certainly when I was growing up, uh, railways uh, were common or trains were common. But uh, have you ever stood waiting at a level crossing in your car uh, and the train doesn't seem to come to an end? just keeps going, keeps going, and you keep waiting, and you keep waiting. Well, the thing that fascinates me in those particular instances is that normally there's only one, maybe two, locomotives, and literally dozens and dozens of coaches being pulled along, being dragged along. Did a little bit of digging uh, to discover that the longest freight train operates in Australia, it carries 44,500 tons of iron ore. It's over three kilometers long, and it needs six locomotives to put a lo pull it along the line. Now, my point is this. This is the reason for the introduction. You can have the most powerful locomotive in the world. But unless that locomotive is reliably connected to the wagons or coaches, it cannot serve its designated purpose. They're just going to stand still on the line. They're not going to get to where they need to be. And so, in a very similar way, I jumped a whole bunch of pages. I'm sure you would have been pleased about that. In a similar way, that principle of connecting, the principle of engaging, that's what I want to speak about tonight. I want us to be thinking about that, the concept, the principle. This is crucial, absolutely crucial to us if we want to be an expensive kind of church. If we don't want to just end up being in a holy huddle that eventually we grow old and die. 
We don't want to do that. We want to be expensive. And so therefore we need to understand this principle, this, this principle of reliable connectedness. And I know, and I'm sure we together know that uh, God is always at work uh, through and by His Holy Spirit in the lives of younger people and older people and men and women, and He's doing His regenerating work. He works inside of you. He works inside of me. He, he brings about the reality of what, what Jesus called uh, to Nicodemus the need to be born again. But at the same time, in that process, in as much as God is sovereign, we need to take some kind of responsibility. God gives us a task to do in gospel ministry. We can improve our working. We can be better at being expensive and developing and reaching others by learning from the Apostle Paul, and certainly in this instance, his ministry in Athens. Now, last week I started just a little two-part uh, series. Perhaps those who weren't here, I do want to just remind you or review. You will be used of God in gospel ministry when your spirit is stirred into action. In other words, God uses you when you have convictions, when you're not wishy-washy. Wishy-washy people don't actually make any headway in the Christian faith. You need to have convictions, strong convictions based on the revelation of God's Word, the Spirit of God then stirring you because of what you know about society and the world and eternity and about God and about judgment and about redemption. That was last week. But today, secondly, today I want us to uh, look at how God will use you in gospel ministry. One point, when you connect with people. I want us to think about that. I want you to think about how you connect with people. Now, I, I feel a bit stupid saying that because it seems so obvious. Obviously, we all know we need to connect with people. You can only make disciples with people, not with dogs, not with trees. You, uh, people. People are important. We need to engage with people. But often we miss the obvious. Not engaging with people with the gospel would be like trying to catch fish in the desert hoping to cast our line and, and bait onto the sand and haul in a fish. It's not going to happen. We've got to connect with people. Well, the Apostle Paul here in this passage had his spirit provoked, and that launched him, it moved him, it motivated him into the city of Athens to engage with people. And I don't know if you picked it up as we read the passage, but let me just remind you, he gets talking with the Jewish and the devout people in the synagogue in verse 17. He also gets out into the public marketplace every day. And those who just happen to be there and he engages with them. And then also we see that he spends time and he chats with the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers from two different schools of thought. Different schools of thought in verse 18. The Epicurean and the, and the Stoic philosophers. And in that process, he challenges people. Uh, all sorts of questions are stirred up in the minds of the listeners. So, how do we learn? Yes, he engaged people in the familiar context of a synagogue. 
engages ordinary people in the marketplace. He engages academic people in the public arena of the community. And so the lesson that I'm wanting to impress upon us tonight is we too, younger people, older people, each one of us need to learn how to grow and do better in our willingness to intentionally engage with people. I think the church has drifted, and I'm speaking about the church generally now, not only Central Baptist Church. We seem to have drifted in our methodology that waits for people to come to us. Any visitors yet tonight? And we'll pay you if you put your... That's what we do. We, we, we have services, and it's good that we have services. We ought to have services. We, we need to, to worship. We need to study the Word of God. But we can't only depend on hoping that some people will walk through the front door and come to a service in the morning or come to a service in the evening. We need to get out and connect with people in the community, in our society, in the world. And so you can only connect with people. And my first sub-point is therefore engage people by building friendships. Do you know that there's a synagogue in Brooklyn? Any of you travel around in Brooklyn down near Fountain Circle on a Saturday and you'll notice uh, some of the Hasidic Jews walking around with their hats and beards and tassels. Now I'm not suggesting that any of you go to the uh, synagogue on Saturday morning, that might be quite awkward. It might be quite difficult. They might not have you. It's not a good idea. In fact, I I would even go so far as to say uh, engaging someone in conversation in the marketplace at Menlin or Loftus or uh, Queenswood at one of the places, uh, some people can do that, but most of us will find that quite difficult. It's not an easy thing for us to do. Not everybody has that kind of ability to launch out, as it were, in the public arena. But you know what? Every single one of you, every one of us sitting here tonight, can nurture friendships with people around us. Anybody can do that, whether you're an extrovert or whether you're an introvert. There are lots of students here tonight. Uh, welcome and really great to have the students. But you know, you have wonderful... It's a season of life where you have no responsibility. Exams. A little bit. Isn't that so? The rest of the time, it's party time. It's social time. It's, it's time to connect. It's time. It's a season of life to build friendships. It's a season of life where, in fact, relationships are a priority. And I want to urge you as students here tonight to use that opportunity. It's a door of opportunity in a season of your life, God giving to you as a young believer. There may be some moms, there are some moms here tonight, and I remember when we had young children, Carol and I, it was a wonderful opportunity. Moms connecting with other moms, having children of the same age, there's an affinity. There's a connection. I remember my wife and uh, told the story a couple of times, I think. Uh, she went to visit a beautician when we were still down in Peter Maritzburg. And uh, while this beautician, I wasn't sure if she was painting her nails or what she was doing, but she shared the gospel. And that, that woman had got divorced and, and Carol shared the gospel with her and she was converted and, and we got involved with her ex-husband and, and herself and, and I remarried there. Just in society, in community, uh, 
taking the opportunities, friendships uh, and warmth toward our neighbors. Then there are some of us who work here tonight, I think, uh, have a job, daytime job. Tremendous opportunity as you work with colleagues year in and year out for them not only to hear you share the gospel, for them to see your faith on display. And then if I may say so, just as uh, an important point tonight, afterwards we're going to have waffles at the Arcadia Cafeteria. And a uh, great opportunity to look out for somebody standing on their own. Do that every Sunday night and reach out to that person and, and draw them in. Make, make another friend. And, and in that process, God can use it. Just my only conversion, uh, a long time ago now, but I remember it clearly. It happened in a context where a group of men in a local church uh, wanted to fix the house that Hannah currently stays in. And uh, uh, it was the manse of the Rosettenville church, and the roof was leaking. And they invited my dad to come and help fix the roof. And I went along with my dad and uh, happened to find a group of friendly teenagers. I was 16 at the time, 15, 16. And, and those teenagers immediately invited me in. Made a friend of me. They invited me to play in their soccer team. So Saturdays we would play soccer. But the, the deal was, you want to play in the soccer team, you've got to come to church on Sunday night. That was, that was what was required. So I came to church on Sunday night. And, and I don't know if any of you even remember or know about this, but in the 70s when I was 16, we didn't have videos. We didn't have YouTube or Internet. We had home movies on a Saturday night. Uh, with a projector, 16-millimeter movies. And these young people invited me around. And in the process of befriending me, shared the gospel. And I was converted. That, it's just as we go about life. And so look around and see people that you can connect with. And look around and see that people are being captivated by false gods. People have been captivated by that which is leading them to meaninglessness. You prayed, and I couldn't remember the guy uh, that you prayed for tonight, the, the rapper. And, and Jabu prayed for, for us to, to learn the lesson that life can be meaningful. And, and let's look out for people who are struggling and depressed and finding life meaningless. We need to understand that people who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and His saving work are heading for what we are told in the Bible, the rich man described in his plea. Remember that story that Jesus told the rich man uh, pleading, pleading with Abraham and Lazarus by his side. And I'll, I'll read what he said in Luke chapter 16. He was in a place known as Hades, being in torment. He lifted up his eyes and he saw Abram far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in anguish in this flame. It was too late. Understand that there is a destiny of either heaven and hell. And so as you look around and, 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 and seek to build friendships, Decide how, how you can do that. Decide who you can reach. Build a friendship for the sake of someone's soul. Number two, 
engage people by tuning into their world. Every time I travel to the airport, I see this massive billboard. If you guys have seen it, somebody must be paying tens of thousands of rand. And I don't know what the latest slogan is, but there have been slogans, Jesus saves. Or another occasion or another billboard, I see uh, the slogan, Jesus is the answer. And I can be quite a cynic or a skeptic, and I think to myself, what is the unconverted person, the secular person thinking, looking at those boards? If they're anything like me as a cynical kind of person, I'd be thinking, well, uh, what is he saving me from? They don't understand lostness. They don't understand the reality of, 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 of not finding their way of, or being in darkness. Or even thinking, well, if Jesus is the answer, what is the question? So I'm not so convinced those are good methods to be using. Context of the people out in the world know little about lostness. They know little about the answers that Jesus brings. So what does the Apostle Paul do? We can learn from him. He starts in this engaging process with these people in Athens by tuning into their world. He connects with them. He identifies a particular thing that, that, that they would have interest in. He observes and he says, uh, uh, observing the objects of worship and identifying an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. There's a point of contact. In his sermon that he preaches a bit later, he quotes from one of the poets in verse 28, for we are indeed his offspring. He's making a point. And so, folk, many people out there believe that the Bible is irrelevant. Many people are very skeptical of our cliches. We need to be careful of them. Instead, we need to understand what contemporary society is about and, and, and some of the struggles and the issues and the questions that they're asking and, and then move on to convince them. And I think we can learn from Jesus. Uh, we, we, we need to excel in knowing how to engage understanding their context, understanding their world. What does Jesus do? He begins where the people are. Most of his stories come in the everyday context of Galilee. He talks about farming and he talks about fishing. He talks about a traveler going on the road from uh, Jericho to Jerusalem. He told stories that reflected their world, that audience. In the Sermon of the Mount, even the words that we have recorded, you have heard it said, but I tell you. You see the connection, the understanding? He met the listeners in their world. And then he proceeded. He moved on to speak to them about the Father's world, about Jesus, about the gospel, ultimately, that is needed. We do need to make an effort, and I hope we as a church make an effort, we pastors, to think about the issues that people are struggling with and thinking about in the 21st century. What, what is it that people are bothered about, troubled about, consumed about? 
And, and so we need to, 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 to minister to them in that context, even to those who believe, don't believe in God or believe that God is some kind of uh, delusion. But tuning into their world doesn't mean that we compromise the truth of the gospel. We always stand firmly on all that God has revealed in His Word. But we make an effort to know the difference. And listen to this. We need to know the difference between truth and preference. Again, a couple of years ago, I was very privileged uh, to visit uh, some ministry partners in the United States. And uh, on that particular trip, they took us to visit an Amish settlement. In fact, they arranged for us to have some tea with an Amish or Amish, Amish, Amish family. I found them very interesting. Uh, they took us for a ride on the horse and carriage and uh, into their little village close by where there was even a place where they could tie their horse and carriage while everybody else came past in their Fords and Ferraris. We went back to this home and, and this lady was lighting a lamp and, and all the rest of it so that we could see. And, and I asked her, why don't you use electricity? And she said to me, no, because it comes down the wires. I didn't want to be offensive. I mean, I was a guest in a home, but it did puzzle me. So what if the electricity comes down the wires? My point is, they refuse to make use of electricity that comes down the wires. They, they dress in ways that locates them somewhere in the 18th century for some reason. And so my point is, they mistakenly major on minors. And before we look down our noses as Baptists, we sometimes do the same thing. And we have to be careful. Minors, modes of transport, fashions or clothing, clothing. I tell my, my, my children, my daughters, when I was a young person converted uh, back in the 70s and early 80s, we young men wore platform shoes and bell-bottom jeans. They're horrified that their father ever could do that. But, but imagine if I still came to church in my platform shoes. And I remember a time when Pastor Eric and I had to make a point. I'm sure you remember, Eric, where we said, we're no longer going to wear ties. Because ties are irrelevant. We, we, we must be careful that we, we major on, on minors and miss the most important the truth is, when you major on minors, the world out there perceives us to be irrelevant and odd. They look at us and think we're strange for the wrong reasons. A better illustration is Hudson Taylor, missionary to China. What he did, he got it right. Uh, tuning into the world of the Chinese. What did he do? He discarded his Western clothing, his Western way of dress and hairstyle, and he was willing to wear a mandarin gown, like a dress, I suppose, and he grew a ponytail. But, but he fitted in that context. Sometimes we evangelicals can be more like the Amish and less like Hudson Taylor. We so often fall into the trap of fighting to preserve the wrong things. We ought to tune into the world that we live in, never compromising 
the truth of the Scriptures. We need to tackle the hard questions. Gender identity. That's a big issue. We need to tackle it here at Central Baptist Church and even so at an evening service. We need to be speaking about pluralism, the fact that uh, it's acceptable or it's uh, believed today that all religious paths lead to God. We need to talk about the difficult issues of suffering and injustice, relativism, the religions of the world, the issue of meaning, people, people committing suicide around us in the context of the, the, the schools that our children go to, to speak about issues, of course, of eternity and salvation. But number three, so number one, we've looked at building friendships. Number two, tuning into the world. Number three, engaging people with a focus on gospel proclamation. You see, when Paul was moved by seeing these idols and, and, and going into the marketplace, he got to the place where he was presenting the claims of Jesus, reasoning with the Jews, with the Gentiles, and calling for men and women to repent from their sin and to believe in the Lord Jesus. Our preaching must always, our ministry, our friendships, our connectedness must always lead to the place not to win an argument so that we can win souls. It's so easy to slip into approach, even to be defensive or always dealing with the justification of what we believe, but rather to be concerned about the justification of people's souls. Let's stand up for the eternal truths of the Bible. Let us be convinced about some of the controversial issues that are flying around in society, whether it be pro-life, uh, care for the widow and orphan, a marriage between a natural man and a natural woman, but it can't end there. It's got to go beyond that. And the two things that are absolutely crucial as we engage people with the gospel. Number one, the gospel requires truth to be announced. Do you know that something happened almost or just over 2,000 years ago? Something cataclysmic, something climactic, something extraordinary, transforming. What is it that happened? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. He was buried and He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. Something happened that accomplished redemption of sinners. This is the way that any man or woman can escape the wrath and condemnation of God. Redemption accomplished. But there's a second element. And the second element is not just that something happened back then, that something was achieved, but that gospel has to be received. It's got to be believed. It must be appropriated. It must be personalized. And so more than wanting people to be present, it's wonderful to see everybody here tonight. But we want more than that. We want you to believe the truth about Jesus. We want you to believe that Jesus died for your sin. We want you to believe uh, that, that, that you can have an eternity in heaven, that you can know the reality of a, of a true and living God as a child of God. That, that's what we really want to see. 
receiving the gospel. You see, it may be helpful to be involved in acts of mercy and compassion, and I'm all for that. But we must never start, stop short of gospel proclamation. Number four. I wanted to add this point because it follows on from where we ought to be. Engage as one who is engaged. What do I mean by that? I want you to think again about the locomotive uh, connecting to the coaches, coaches connecting to the coaches. Connecting and staying connected is dependent on the adequate engineering design of the coupling. If you have a weak coupling, that locomotive is just going to pull off or the coach is going to be separated from the coach and the purpose will not be achieved. And so asking the question as we apply it to our topic tonight, what is it that ought to adequately connect you to the church? Very important question. You need to be aware that, that connecting with people or even connecting with the church can be accomplished by a number or is not properly accomplished by a number of inadequate reasons. You see, many think they are connected because of friendliness. I'm going to go to that church because they're great friends. Or I will go to that other church because there was some, some compassion shown to me. Or I'm going to go to that church because my, my family has a legacy and a heritage in that place. Or I'm going to go to that church because it was there that I was dedicated or baptized. Or I'm going to go to that church because the leadership there seemed to be visionary. Well, those may have their place. They're good things. But dear friends, I want to tell you tonight, categorically, explicitly, importantly, they do not bring you into union. There's the coupling. They do not bring you into union with Christ. There's a spiritual union that takes place when somebody becomes a true believer and they become joined to the Lord Jesus Christ. They become joined to the body of Christ as we know it, the church, this mysterious universal church. And of course, unless you have repented from your sin, unless you believe in Jesus, you're not joined into the body of Christ and you remain separated. There's no connectedness. There's no coupling. It's only as a true believer immersed into the body of Christ that you can meaningfully be connected to the church and in the position to fruitfully engage the world with the gospel. My last point, and I'm taking a little bit longer, engage people expecting different responses. It's one of the hardest lessons I've learned and uh, it's a lesson I have to learn again and again. Uh, keep forgetting. Not everyone responds to the gospel positively. It's a reality. There are those who respond with enthusiasm and delight and joy. Some will respond with gladness. And some will respond even with mocking hatred. In Acts chapter 17 verse 32, the passage we read we read there, now when they heard the res of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Didn't like what they heard, 
They dug their heels in. They were ready to fight. But others said, we'll hear you again about this. And so Paul went out from their midst. Some men joined him and believed. Among them were Dionysus, the Areopagite, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with him. Dear friends, you've got to know this. When you're involved in gospel ministry, there will be some people who will not like what you tell them. But don't let that stop you. It's inevitable. There will be some who will believe. Great passage that the Apostle Paul shares in 2 Corinthians. Something of this process of gospel ministry and the life of the believer. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. The other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? The temptation to want to please everybody oppress you to dilute and to modify the gospel, to be accommodating, but leading your years astray to eternal tragedy. It's deceptive and it's dishonoring to God. Friends, don't go there. Don't, don't go there. Have the courage to stand and believe God and what He's doing. Well, I want to end uh, my conclusion, and I want to quote a very old author by the name of John Owen. When I started preaching last week, I raised the issue that it seems like to us, as we look around, that evangelizing or doing missions is an impossible task. Well, it's true, apart from God being at work. And so we, we always have to go back to our confidence in God, our dependence on God. To quote Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, we know that, that people are dead spiritually in their transgressions and sin. There's a blindness, there's a deafness, there's a resistance. Let me quote John Owen. I love this description. It, it, it's so accurate. He says, The hearts of all men are fat. Their ears are heavy and their eyes are sealed, that they can neither hear nor perceive nor understand the mysteries of the kingdom of God. These things belong, now listen to this, these things belong unto the work of the Holy Spirit upon our minds. It's not too hard for the Spirit of God to change the hardest heart, the fattest heart. And so as we relevantly engage and connect and network, may we do so with the gospel in hand, but doing so believing Apart from God, we can do nothing. We are totally dependent on Him. And so let us move to engage people from being on our knees. And there's an advert for a prayer meeting uh, just before the service at 5.30. Come join us and pray that God would use us for the sake of the souls of many lost people, many condemned people, and also for the glory of God. And Lord, we pray to that end. Won't you use us? We're a small group of people in a big city, but a city with tremendous opportunity, a huge campus with literally tens of thousands of people, 
people in the workplace, people in the home, people in community, and many people, Lord, ignorant of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and what has been accomplished on the cross of Calvary. May we be faithful ambassadors to the glory of your name. May your spirit use each one. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.